good evening. Uh, I'm going to be a bit German about this, uh, Jay. No? Doctor, mm-hmm. professor, attorney, Jay Matumbakal. German conferences. All your titles should be there, even <laughs> Merkel, Devasi. Chancellor, Doctor Angela Merkel. No? So, so I'm going to go German about this. Thank you so much, uh, Jay Batumbakal, for joining us, Professor. Uh, thank you, Chad, and uh, to all our uh, viewers or listeners. Uh, um, good day. <laughs> good day and and hopefully good times. No, um, obviously, marami tayong pag-usapan dito sa West Philippines issue. And obviously, uh, Jay, yung mga ginagawa natin over the past six, seven years, hindi naman walang ambag or walang saisay, pero parang kulang. No, since we still keep on hearing yung etong regurgitated disinformation, very pro-China, obviously. by no less than people dito no i don't know kung may makikita kang ganyan sa Malaysia or Vietnam na biglang openly pro china yung sinasabi and getting away with it but the philippines is the philippines and uh, well democracy daw tayo pero pag-usapan natin yung disinformation shortly by going to the facts about the west philippines sea but jay just before we go to the meat of the discussion can you tell us bakit naging academic and why did you specialize in um, maritime international law but hindi ka naging ano i don't know criminal lawyer corporate lawyer you know the usual uh, career path for people that went through the law school well um honestly speaking i was looking for a niche Um, uh, I did try litigation. I did try to go the usual route. Uh, but in the end, I decided that it wasn't for me. Mm. So I was looking for something that was uh, stimulating and something that uh, few or no other uh, um, lawyers had gone into. Right. And at the time, this was uh, early 1990s. No, uh, The Law of the Sea was uh, relatively new. Uh, yeah. It was uh, about to come into force. Uh, and we are an archipelagic country. So my professor at the time, uh, in fact, he's now the Secretary of Energy, uh, Professor Lutilia, encouraged me to go into maritime uh, studies. So during my um, graduating year, my research was on coastal zone management. And then after a few years, when I had the opportunity to take master's, um, I focused on the law of the sea. And since that time, I've been doing yeah, research and advocacy on it ever since. Uh, Dr. Batumbakal, why Law of the Sea and why go all the way uh, for a PhD in Law of the Sea? So Canada can have PhD, right? Why there? Yes. Like, can you explain us a little bit? Yeah. Well, um, when it started 1995, no, uh, I was involved in a project uh, which uh, partly was in, meant to prepare the Philippines Uh, for uh, implementation of the Law of the Sea Convention. Okay. Uh, it entered into force in 1994, as you know. So the Philippines at the time, um, after having negotiated or participated in the negotiations of the Law of the Sea Convention, saw that there were challenges in its implementation. So they were looking for people who would want to study uh, the matter. And I just happened to be uh, the one that they were able to recruit, no? So, si Professor Lutilia, together with Heidi Yorak, um, uh, were able to um, endorse me to a university in Canada which specialized in ocean studies, and that's Dalhousie University. So, I took my master's there, um, mostly focused on coastal and marine management. Okay, And then, when I came back, um, immediately I was uh, put to task with various uh, policy studies, um, supporting uh, the government, particularly the Department of Foreign Affairs, in dealing with the implementation of the Law of the Sea, as well as uh, so many uh, maritime issues that came up 
I also did a bit of uh, private uh, consulting work since um, since I had the background. I also did a lot of work on coastal uh, resource management. Uh, these were development projects. Um, so I was able to do a lot of um, um, consulting work on fisheries, um, even shipping at some point. No? And it kept on like that until around 2003, I decided, okay, it's time to take a PhD. And I went back to my alma mater uh, in Canada um, to pursue a PhD. So I got even more um, knowledge about um, various other issues that I did not tackle before, such as uh, energy, ocean energy issues and 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 natural resource, uh, well, broader natural resource uh, management um, issues in, in the marine field. Yeah. So, you know, ever since, since 1997, when I came back, um, I've been doing uh, just uh, ocean-related uh, research. No? Um, everything that has to do with ocean law. That's why it's been a very, very interesting um, career. Um, covered so many different topics, everything from from coastal fishery management all the way up to international maritime boundary negotiations and high seas fishing and everything in between. And up to now, there are still new uh, topics, new subjects of study coming up. No? Of course, yeah. Uh, uh, Dr. Badang Bakal, you were, how did you get involved with the Benham Rice Philippine Sea issue? Because you played a very important role. I think that's the closest you came to being really, you know, uh, working with the government through and through to make sure the Philippines has its best possible, uh, you know, legal claims in, in such a resource-rich area? Well, actually, I was working with the government on and off for many years, even before that. And it was because of that, that when the decision was finally made to pursue a claim to an extended continental shelf in the Rice region, they got in touch with me. I was already doing my PhD studies in Canada. Uh, but it so happened that um, I also knew one of the commissioners of the Commission on the Limits of the Continental Shelf, no? because he also studied there, and we had become colleagues. We had worked on a project together. Uh, so uh, Namria got in touch with me and sought my um, participation. Uh, I remember the first meeting we had was even by Skype, no, and it was rather primitive. Uh, yung mahirap magkadinigan pa mga eh, at the time. And, but I managed to attend the first meeting, yeah. Uh, and then from that, uh, introduced them to the commissioner who then was able to help us prepare this. Dr. Badambakal, I, 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 my sense is you were not just finding a niche, you were trying to fill up some sort of a vacuum because I remember whenever you talk about on-clause international law, the, the names that pop up from a region are like people like Ambassador Jalal or, or Tommy Ko, for instance, right? A couple of people from Indonesia, from Singapore, and some of them are, of course, still among us. And, and you know, the way they're treated as the kind of like uh, godfathers of, you know, on-clause as far as ASEAN is concerned. But we know that in the case of the Philippines, Panon Pani Marcos, and I think Estelito Mendoza played quite a role also during this time. No, we were very central also to, making sure na yung mga bansa with similar interests, mga smaller countries. We have a kind of an international regime that ensures we have rule of law rather than rule of jungle. Can, can you tell us yes. a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, early on, no, the Philippines uh, decided to pursue to advocate a particular 
new concept, no? the archipelagic state concept and the archipelagic waters. Because under the state of international law at that time, um, states were only entitled to a small strip of water, basically three nautical miles from shore. That's your territorial sea. Everything else beyond that is the commons already. Um, other states can use them for whatever purpose uh, and whatever activity they wanted, including fishing. And that meant that in the Philippines, our inter-island waters, no, many of which are more than six nautical miles apart, no, they would be high seas, no. So the Sulu Sea, the Bohol Sea, um, yeah, we would be a fragmented set of uh, islands essentially. And the Philippine government early on, um, 1950s, already realized that this would um, be not in its interest, and that's why it introduced the so-called archipelagic doctrine or the archipelagic concept. No? Um, we made that um, bid in a note verbal to the UN Secretary General when he consulted the member nations of the of, of the UN no? on what should be the width of the territorial sea. Okay? And our answer was basically that we are a special case. We are an archipelago. We're an archipelago. Uh, and we have archipelagic uh, waters or inter-island waters, and these should be considered as part and parcel of our nation. No, uh, so we did not distinguish between land and water essentially. Um, and the idea was to unify uh, all these scattered islands of the Philippine Islands. No, we were called Philippine Islands for a very long time. Um, so that was the seed of this advocacy. Indonesia joined us because they were in a similar situation, even though they were larger. And together, we led uh, a group of states called the Archipelagic States Group, or the Archipelago States Group, actually, uh, during the UN uh, uh, Convention on the Love of the Sea negotiations. So we wanted to, number one, uh, get the international community to recognize our sovereignty over our inter-island waters. Number two, recognize that we were one unit basically the what became the archipelagic state no? so to also to recognize that we are not just scattered islands but an archipelago and we also wanted to have control over the uh, passage of foreign vessels through our inter-island waters okay so those are the three basic points no but um as time went on of course we are a small group of states developing all developing states at the time um against a an array of nations no uh, multilateral in multilateral negotiations so there's a give and take process there's a compromise process so in the end we got some uh, of what we wanted but not everything okay so i think particularly the achievement that we did um reach however no is some of the most important ones number one is the recognition of our sovereignty over our inter-island waters, no? what is what is now recognized as archipelagic waters, and the archipelagic state concept, the recognition that we are one unit. No? That was very, very important for us uh, um, politically, uh, especially during that time. Okay? Um, we didn't get everything that we wanted with respect to the degree of control over foreign uh, shipping uh, passing through our inter-island waters. No, but uh, at least we were able to get most of it. Yeah. This is the 70s, uh, Dr. Batumbakal. Yeah. What are we looking at, 70s? Oh, um, well, if you go back to the original advocacy of the archipelagic state concept that, would, that started 1955, 1956, mm -hmm. 
Right. And it kept being rejected by the international community. There weren't enough votes in its favor. Uh, all the way up to the 70s. No? Um, the, I, I mean the culmination of that negotiations and all yeah. of that. The negotiations uh, culminated era. in 1982 no? um, after almost 10 years of negotiations. 10 years, yeah. yeah. And, and Estelito Mendoza, among others, played a very important role, my understanding is, right? Yes. Um, you had Arturo Talentino, Estelito Mendoza. Um, I forget the name of the head of the Namria at the time. Uh, well, what was the what what became the Namria rather at the time they were known as the Bureau of Coast and Genetic Survey. Um, yeah, they uh, basically pushed um, these ideas for ten years, and and there's a whole record of uh, Philippine um, interventions along these lines. And so, in the end, yeah, uh, it culminated in what is now known as Part Four of UNGLOS. It's an entire part. It's um, sui generis. It's new to international law. It's it's a treaty based uh, set of rules, okay. Um, and because of that, we are now able to claim uh, not only sovereignty over the inter island waters of the Philippines, but also the EEZ and continental shelf, no? uh, which greatly expanded our resource base. Before UNCLOS, we were making claims, a unit, well, we were making a unilateral claim to the so-called Treaty of Paris limits. Which okay. is weird, like kind of a square shape, yeah. very parang... I know, yeah, it's an arbitrary box on the islands. Yeah. And that, that claim was consistently rejected by the international community. Nobody recognized that. Um, in exchange for uh, that, however, we were able to get the 200-mile EEZ and continental shelf measured from the archipelagic baselines, which is much bigger in area. And so we were able to actually expand our resource base uh, in the oceans because of UNCLOS. No? So that's another contribution, I think, that we were able to make. Without that, uh, um, uh, that push, no? um, well, we probably would not have uh, as much um, in terms of uh, additional uh, resource areas. No? Uh, uh, Dr. Padambakal, I, I just want to understand, I mean, for the purpose of our audience also, how we went from that negotiation to the early 1990s where we finalized and ratified on clause and then the baselines law that comes in the late 2000s. So what is what are we gaining through this Milestones. Okay. Just, just to, to para lang magets ng tao na hindi lang nakatunganga yung gobyerno natin all these decades. And in, in fairness, we have been doing something on yeah. on this front. Well, um, quite a bit, no. Um, number one, before UNCLOS or without UNCLOS, the Philippines continental shelf, for example, uh, would be limited to only the two hundred meter isobath, meaning a depth of two hundred meters. Ah, you pababa. Uh, yeah. Or the depth. Uh, of exploitability, which is a technological criteria. Okay? It wasn't uh, clear at all, and it depended on the available technology. And when you look at the Philippine um, um, charts, there are places in uh, around the Philippines where practically there's no continental shelf. So like east of Luzon, Cantilado yung seabed done because there's a trench. Um well, even the west of Luzon is also similar no, in, in, in that. And also east of uh, Mindanao. No? It goes straight into the Mindanao Trench. So our continental shelf would be very, very narrow. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, but with UNCLOS, no, uh, regardless of the shape of the seabed, we're entitled to 200 nautical miles uh, all around, no, measured from our baselines. So that's a huge increase in the potential uh, mineral and petroleum resource areas that we can access. Okay. Uh, in terms of the archipelagic waters, the sovereignty over the archipelagic waters, like you mentioned, no, uh, before we're only well, the international community would only recognize uh, three nautical mile limits. Even if we were to claim 12 nautical miles, no, essentially the Sulusi would be the high seas open to all states for yeah, any purpose, including exploitation. Yeah. No? So now with uh, UNCLOS and the archipelagic state concept, we were able to enclose the Sulusi, no, as well as large areas of our other inter-island waters. No? So these are uh, the gains that we made uh, as a result of that. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, so, so the baselines law that came also late in uh, 2000, yes. it it kind of fortified what we were already gaining under UNCLOS. That's what you're saying. Pero may kulang pa rin yeah. pa. In, uh, legally speaking, what do you think are kulang pa rin pa in terms of... Uh... Well, of course, may kulang pa kasi the baselines law is basically just the starting point. Uh, there are still... Uh, persistent um, doubts or problems arising from the fact that people are a lot of people are still confused as to the nature of international law and UNCLOS and how it uh, relates to our unilateral domestic claims, okay, particularly the Treaty of Paris lines. Okay? These, these unilateral claims simply are not recognized by the international community. And therefore, they're, they're not binding on them. Okay, And the only ones that they will recognize are those based on UNCLOS. So we had to enact RA 9522 in order to establish first the foundation, which is the baselines, the archipelagic baselines in the Philippines. We had baselines before, no? uh, as early as 1961, but they were not in conformity with uh, part four of UNCLOS, no? the result right. of years of negotiation. So 9522 basically aligns our baselines uh, in accordance with the standards under UNCLOS. And therefore, other countries can now, uh, even on their own, um, um, measure uh, the maritime zones based on those on those archipelagic baselines, and they will have an idea of what, uh, uh, what um, maritime zones of the Philippines they are in whenever they're passing through our archipelago. Which I think brings us really to the meat of discussion today, because speaking of confusion, or uh, some would say, you know, manufactured confusion uh, about international law, about UNCLOS and its relevance for the Philippines. Let's go to the Philippine arbitration case. Uh, the first thing we hear, and we know where this is coming from, not only from Beijing, but from their many friends uh, not too far away from us. One of the arguments they always make is that, well, hindi naman sumali ang China. So if China did not participate and China doesn't recognize, you know, if, if China believes this is a piece of trash paper, or which Duterte also reiterated in, in his own variation, uh, then walang saysa yan. Eh, hindi naman nag-attend ng China. So ano yan? Kanya-kanyang ano yan? Diba? Lutong Macau in that sense. Uh, uh, paradoxically. Can you explain to our audience, Jay, in what sense was that arbitration case uh, binding or final? Yeah, um, well, number one, no? all states, uh, when they sign and ratify a treaty, they bind themselves to it. They commit 
to uh, abiding by the treaty no uh, otherwise what's the point of entering into these agreements hindi ka lang lang pala susunod diba now both the philippines and china signed and ratified unclos and therefore they bound themselves to all of its provisions no hindi pwedeng uh, unlike in other in, in other treaties in unclos hindi pwedeng magkaroon ng tinatawag na reservation meaning yeah. some parts you will not accept so, and parang it ICJ, right okay Right. So, oh, so in one clause, it's a package deal. It's either all or nothing. Okay. So if you signed and ratified, then you commit to all of its provisions. Part of those provisions, part 15 particularly, commits all of the states, all of that signed and ratified, to submit themselves to the dispute settlement mechanisms. Included in those dispute settlement mechanisms, uh, dispute settlement mechanisms is the arbitration mechanism. Arbitration is, yeah, it's like a court except that you basically uh, create a panel no, to rule on an issue that you bring before the panel uh, for a resolution. Okay? And China is bound by that provision as well. Okay? There are, of course, various um, exceptions. No? Uh, the way the, the uh, Part 15 dispute resolution mechanisms are are um, structured it's very complicated no so there are what we call exceptions and um well exclusions and ex and, and exemptions yeah i mean so, sorry jay for but, article 298 section 2 diva i mean there's already you know china tries to invoke that as an exemption can you explain yeah. why why that's not you know definitive in its sense just because you invoke it doesn't mean it's automatically valid yeah right? yeah yeah, it's not Sorry, because even, I know what the other side is gonna say. Uh, oh, but there's uh, that even if there that. are exceptions, no, uh, to and exemptions to jurisdiction and to these dispute settlement mechanisms, there, no, you have to make sure that those exceptions apply. Okay, and the thing is, when the arbitral tribunal um, basically uh, look at looked at all the positions and statements made by the parties um for in china's case all the positions and statements it's made out of court no um which is still binding on it because after all they're saying those things publicly no they found that none of the exceptions applied okay so they were still bound to go through the arbitration process no? because none of their objections none of their exceptions to jurisdiction were applicable, no? given the case that we had uh, put before the court. And the case that we had put before the tribunal was simply this. No? Certain questions of fact about the features in the South China Sea, no? such as whether they are high tide elevations or low tide elevations, whether they generate territorial seas or not, whether they generate EEZ or continental shelf zones or not. Okay? And uh, also questions of law. Are the actions taken by China against the Philippines up until that time, no? this was around between 2010 to 2013, were they um, legal? No? Or did they contravene international law? Okay. Now, that's, that second question depends on the resolution of the first few questions. Okay. Uh, and that's why it became important for the tribunal to make its findings of facts, looking at whatever information is available, um, both 
uh, those that were submitted by the Philippines and information that the tribunal itself had to find, go out of its way to find. Okay, uh, and in the end, no, um, it ruled in our favor. It basically ruled that a lot of features. Um, there are features that are high tide elevation, such as the islands, the Pag-asa Island, Dito Aba Island. And there are features that are low tide elevation, such as Reed Bank, Ayungin Shoal, Mischief Reef. No? And then the tribunal ruled that the high tide features are the only ones that are entitled to a territorial sea. Okay? But because of their characteristics, they are not entitled to EEZ or continental shelf zones. Okay, it's only territorial sea. And at territorial... Malaki, Jay, because right, if if this this island suppose it can generate two hundred miles, abot na sa Pilipinas yan, di ba? Okay. So so yung... stake natin to determine which is a self-sustaining yeah. real island or not. Yeah. Yeah, that that is what China was banking on. If it's able to show or at least get the the tribunal to see that the islands may be entitled to EEZ continental shelf on their own then their nine dash line claim might be based on an an easier continental shelf claim which would reach all the way up to just outside of palawan and and luzon no? and the thing is the tribunal did not rule in that manner it ruled that it's only entitled to 12 nautical mile territorial seas no easier continental shelf and because of that the area of legitimate dispute between the philippines and china was reduced uh, immensely, it's only now these small pockets of islands and rocks no? with their territorial seas. But outside of those pockets, it's either the Philippine EEZ or continental shelf that you're looking at because it's within 200 miles of uh, Palawan, or the high seas, which is common to all states. No? Um, and that's why for us, it was a win. It was a sure, it was very important because once the tribunal ruled, that the area in dispute is actually these small pockets. And it found that the Philippines still had its 200-mile easy and continental shelf zones. The Chinese activities against the Philippines in the Philippine easy and continental shelf zones could now be assessed legally. Okay? Right. And they found that these were mostly in contravention or contrary to the Philippines' rights and entitlements. Okay? So that's why most of China's actions were deemed to be contrary to international law. They were illegal. Okay? It's only a small portion uh, of the Philippine claims, the ones that we were complaining about, which the tribunal could not rule on no? uh, because it was now in either inside those um, 12 nautical mile territorial seas and therefore still legitimately disputed, or it fell under what is known as the military exception to UNCLOS, the military activities exception to UNCLOS. These are not covered kasi, by the rules of UNCLOS. Yeah. Uh, thank you, uh, Jay. Because next I want to go into this issue of uh, compulsory arbitration. I think we have to explain to people what is the basis for that. But can you quickly just explain to us also the binding nature of this, this case? Because you you know, you know in works we have cited Article 296 and Article 11 of Annex 7, which makes it final and binding. So... Just because China did not attend doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to them. It doesn't work that way, right? And then as no, you no. and as you were explaining, it is not up to China to just unilaterally say the exception applies. It is up to the arbitration body itself to determine whether the invocation of that exception has a basis or not. So, because I think a lot of people, 
lay people or people who do not understand the nuances think that just because there's an exception clause, just by invoking it, automatically it applies. But no, the court made it clear it's up to us to determine whether my basihan yeah. invocation of exception. Yeah. Yeah. Only the tribunal is competent to determine. To determine. It's not China unilaterally. Oh, so what is party. Article 296 and Article 11 of Annex 7? In what sense does it affirm the finality and binding nature of that? Well, as we said, no, uh, China's signed and ratified UNCLOS and all states are bound by an even more fundamental principle in the international law. That's the principle of pacta sunt servanda. No? Right, right, states right. States must comply in good faith with the agreements, the treaties that they signed on to. Okay? And therefore, China is bound by that particular provision especially, no, uh, that it is final and binding upon them. Okay? Now, the other thing that's very important about this is that when you look at the tribunal's judgment, okay, it is basically about mostly about findings of fact. These are objective facts. It's whether a feature is above water or below water at high tide, or whether it has um, uh, an ability, uh, the, the capacity to sustain uh, human habitation on its own. No? These are objective facts. And no amount of argumentation now can change that. Okay? Um, second, it also made uh, findings of law, no? meaning the application of UNCLOS to certain activities that China undertook against the Philippines. Okay? And the tribunal ruled that based on the facts and circumstances and the available rules of the law, China contravened the Philippines' rights and obligations. No? And in fact, also, China um, um, acted contrary to international law as well, uh, in general. No? And we're here we're talking about the obligation of all states to conserve and protect the marine environment, for example. That's not owed only to the Philippines, it's also owed to the rest of the world. No? And China... Um, um, acted contrary to that no? um, by building these artificial islands, uh, destroying uh, huge huge areas of coral reef, no, um, without uh, notification and without really without justification. So yeah, that's why that's why they're they're really uh, bound by it. No, it's not for the party to say whether or not they're bound. I mean, like an ordinary person. If you're brought before a court, you cannot tell the judge that you do not you do not recognize their jurisdiction. Okay, you're not the one who can uh, you can make that decision. No? So in the same same thing here, China is not the one with the authority to determine whether or not the tribunal had jurisdiction, given the facts that it had already signed and ratified the convention. It was bound by these provisions on dispute settlement, no? and it went and. The, the, the case went through the process. Its non-participation does not bar the validity of the proceedings. No? Otherwise, uh, again, like in an ordinary court case, eh, di wag ka lang appear sa judge. Ibig sabihin, invalid na yung decision. Hindi pwede yun. No? So similar thing, a similar thing is happening here. Just because China did not participate does not mean that the judgment is invalid. No? In fact, it could be argued that their non-participation formally in the proceedings no? Um, was a kind of waiver as well. They took their chances bale, uh, in the case when they refused to uh, argue and present evidence and and um, um, send counsel uh, to influence or somehow input give inputs to the judges and in their decision making. Well, by the way, 
it's also uh, not the case naman that they did not participate completely because China was not silent all this time. That's my point. We keep on talking about the exemption clauses. Who's mentioning it? Yeah. Obviously China, right? So the, in their yeah. indirect participation or liminal participation. Yes, yes. So even while the proceedings were ongoing, they kept issuing public statements, official position paper, etc., etc. So they were actually, you know, in a way they were cheating because they were putting out their arguments, uh, even some of their evidence. They were pointing to some of their evidence while not actually appearing before the tribunal. Diba? So it's it's uh, unfair um, um, to the other party, which is bearing all of the expenses and, and all the doing all of the effort to have a proper proceeding. Right, Jay, which brings us to the number two issue because China was not only uh, trying to have it both ways, right? On one hand, saying, oh, we're not participating. On the other hand, trying to influence uh, the process by making uh, these comments. But these comments were not neutral comments, right? Or these comments were not just about China's claim. These comments were also meant to, at least some of the comments by China were meant to uh, besmirch the body mm -hmm. and question yeah. its validity and jurisdiction. So let's go to the number two issue. So the first issue we resolve is that you cannot unilaterally just say, I'm exempted. It doesn't work that way. It's an issue that has to be adjudicated by the proper body. Which brings us to the second issue, which is, was this a proper body? Was this a body under on clause and therefore binding? So let's talk about that. So this brings us to Article 287, Annex 7, Compulsory Arbitration. Can you, Jay, explain to our audience... Bakit itong, uh, by the way, it's not PCA, right? <laughs> People keep on saying PCA. Bakit explain bakit, where is this mistake with PCA coming from? And what's this court in the Hague all about? Well, the the tribunal is a tribunal that is established under UNCLOS. Its power and jurisdiction flows from UNCLOS. Okay. The PCA, or the Permanent Court of Arbitration, simply serves as the registrar, meaning what it right. did was it provided the administrative support right. and the facilities for the tribunal to be able to meet and uh, hold the proceedings. Huh? Parang secretariat. It, yeah, parang secretariat. It's lodged in the PCA uh, for, well, for records purposes, uh, basically, no? Uh, para nga ma madali na malaman kung nasan ba napupunta yung dokumento, where should it be, where they should be sent, who will keep the original copies, uh, where will they be uh, archived, etc. So, uh, Jay, paki-explain yung compulsory arbitration Annex 7287 because uh, people keep on saying that uh, you know, this this is this is not even PC as you say. So, wala siyang jurisdiction, wala siyang validity. Can you explain to us the compulsory arbitration uh, mechanism under uh, yeah. under UNCLOS? The compulsory arbitration mechanism is provided for by UNCLOS itself, okay? It exists independently, okay? And its power and authority uh, arises because the parties gave them that power and authority. Huh? Um, when they signed and ratified UNCLOS, they basically established this mechanism huh, for arbitration uh, and provided the, the basic rules of procedure for it in Annex 7. Okay? Um, because of that, huh, a tribunal that is constituted in accordance with the procedure huh, under Annex 7 when it is invoked huh, is a valid um, and authoritative tribunal. Okay, now, the 
fact that it exists separately from the PCA or that exists separately from ICJ or is not even part of the UN, no, meaning it's not these are not UN employees, that is all irrelevant. Okay? Because the power and authority of the tribunal comes from UNCLOS itself, no? the convention itself, not anything else. And the power and authority given to UNCLOS no, flows from the state parties that signed and ratified it. And that includes China and the Philippines. Yeah, yeah again, I, th I think it would be nice if we posted. So it's very clear, John's uh, United Nations Article 287, no? when signing, ratifying, or according to this convention or at any time thereafter, a state shall be free to choose by means of a written declaration one or more of the following means for the settlement of disputes concerning yeah. the interpretation or application of the convention. A, the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea, the International Court of Justice, an arbitral tribunal constituted in accordance with Annex 7, which is what we did, and then D, mm -hmm. options, a special arbitral tribunal constituted in accordance with Annex 7 for one or two of the categories. So so this is very clear. Andunian's Article 287, where countries have a choice. Yes, to go and, and that choice no, from these four different um, procedures, four different fora, has to be made at the time that they signed and ratified UNCLOS. And if they do not make a choice when they do so, no, when they sign and ratify, wala silang sinabi which of the four they want, they are automatically deemed to have selected arbitration. And that's where the Philippines and China had something in common. We both did not make a choice and therefore we are both deemed to have now uh, permitted arbitration to be the mode of dispute settlement between us in case we have a, an issue over the interpretation application of Punkos. Uh, so we, we have settled so far a number, just, just to recap. So first we explain why China's invocation of exemption clauses cannot be unilaterally invoked. It is something to be adjudicated by the proper body. And that even mm -hmm. China's claim of non-participation is questionable given how it was raising comments. Which brings us to the second issue, which is China actually trying to question the validity or to besmirch the validity of the court. And this is where we explain that actually there is a compulsory arbitration part of a number of options provided to us under our Article 287, Annex 7, and, and we chose one of them, no? Now, this brings me to uh, issue number three, because a while ago, Jay, you mentioned, well, hindi naman pwede yung kunyari, kinasuhan ka ng kapitbahay mo, tapos sabihin mo, ay, hindi ko ma-recognize, ayoko yung judge na yan, hindi ako pupunta dyan. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, Jay, of course, we're talking about international law, so we're talking about law that deals with individually sovereign states. So clearly, unlike yung court Hindi siya pwede magpadala ng, I don't know, barangay tanod or police. So there's no enforcement mechanism. I think all of us had no illusions about that. But there, nevertheless, what, ano yung ambag ng arbitration award na yan, even if China has rejected not only the procedures, but definitely also the outcome. Obviously, a number of things comes to our mind. First of all, I don't hear China using the nine dash line uh, anymore, right? Since the arbitration yeah. came out, maybe there's a reason why, right? We also see that some of our like-minded uh, neighbors have been invoking the Philippine Arbitration Award to reinforce mm -hmm. their own claims, whether it's Vietnam, whether it's Indonesia, which is not even a claim on in South China Sea, but they're worried about what's happening in North Natuna Sea. Malaysia in 2019, when they pushed for another extended, extended continental shelf claim, they somehow also were mentioning the Philippines. So my ambag yung ginagawa natin, not only for us, but for neighboring countries. But lastly, and I think this is very important, is we provided also a partial legal pretext, if not full-fledged pretext, not only for the U.S., but a number of international powers 
to say yung China's claims have no basis. Therefore, they cannot just go and make fake islands and then kick everyone out of the area. It doesn't work that way. And hence, we have morphine of navigation operations. So my understanding, Jay, is that hindi totoo na wala ang bagyan. Nevertheless, mm -hmm. having said that, what are the options forward? Can the Philippines go for supplementary or additional corollary uh, litigation in order to make China pay for its clear non-compliance as an outlaw in the South China Sea? Uh, one of our good friends, of course, Associate Justice Carp, you mentioned about pushing for court cases to seize assets of Chinese companies who have been involved in illegal activities in the area, let's say Sinopec, CNPC. We also had this case by the late... Uh, Foreign Secretary and uh, the former Associate Justice uh, Carpio, the other one, right? Uh, uh, where they tried to take the case even to ICC, right? So they tried to bring elements of human rights and onclos together. So we, there are some ideas and some moves to make sure that China cannot just get away, uh, in short, to make sure walang impunity dito. Can you, what is your take on this, uh, Jay? Well, um, again, no, yung South China arbitration, malaki yung ambag actually. Napakalaki. Why? Because before the arbitration, there was really a lot of legal uncertainty. It was not sure among the various states whether or not China did have a proper and legitimate claim uh, to that area that they had enclosed in the Nine Dash Line. Well, it didn't help that China did not clarify what the, what exactly it was that they were claiming. Okay, But there was no certainty um, if it would be brought before a tribunal would the tribunal recognize that it is possible for China to um, basically claim and dispute uh, everyone else's claim to the various parts of the South China Sea. Okay. Now that we have the arbitration decision, it is very clear that China does not have such a vast and uh, excessive claim to the South China Sea. You know? uh, it's claim, it's um, constant invocation of historic rights, even historic fact though. These were all uh, ruled upon by, tribu by the tribunal as simply not acceptable. You know? um, if at all, whatever claim that they did make to this vast area of the Nine Dash Line, they only started making it and actively pursuing it in 2009. Before that, malabo. You do not even know what it is that they're they're asking for. So how can you even make? Um, how can you even respond properly? In the meantime, the surrounding Southeast Asian nations, the smaller Southeast Asian states, have been aligning their claims with Dunklos. They've been claiming only their 200-mile EEZs from their mainland coasts and treating these islands in between as um, isolated uh, enclaves of 12 nautical mile territorial seas. No? Pare-pareho yung position ng Philippines, Vietnam, Malaysia uh, dito. Okay? And because of that, each one of the Southeast Asian nations now has a share uh, recognized by international law. They now have a share of the South China Sea. It's, it's their easy and continental shelf and all of the vast resources within their respective portions. And there is also a common area in the middle, no? which is open to all states, no? not just uh, us, but uh, within the region, but also outside of the region. And that, I think, is a much more equitable distribution of the South China Sea than what China is claiming that uh, it's everything belongs to them. 85%, okay. right? Yeah. yeah. And because of that tribunal uh, decision, no, uh, it is now being um, cited and invoked, as you said, by the other Southeast Asian states, even though they were not parties to it. 
they are invoking the reasoning with it. And it is a very powerful uh, reasoning. It's very powerful argument that they can use even against China in their respective bilateral uh, dealings with China. And China. So even if they're not a party, sorry again, because we see a lot of disinformation around it. So, yung sinasa, paanong ano anong anong uh, anong marites ng Vietnam? Di naman sila kasama sa arbitration case nyan. Bakit nila invoke yan? So, can you explain that? Yeah. Well, kasi nga. Actually, Vietnam helped the Philippines in the arbitration case by submitting a letter which expressed its legal opinion or legal position about the, the claim to the EEZ, about the claim of China, and about the status of the uh, islands. No? And it was fully aligned with the Philippine arguments, with the Philippine position. Okay? And the tribunal um, actually summarizes this uh, in one part of the arbitration. So, Kinampihan tayo ng Vietnam and because of that, uh, the tribunal um, somehow was also um, encouraged or supported in its reasoning. Okay? So why is it important for Vietnam? Number one, hindi na nila kiniklaim yung buong malaking portion sa China Sea which they used to. Okay? It's no longer an ambiguous claim because it also wasn't clear what their basis was. They were, they were citing the French annexation but the French annexation did not include the waters, okay. But now, what they do, what they've done, is basically draw back, no, um, draw down their claim to what is allowed by international law, no? and it is still a large part of the South China Sea. They still have their two hundred mile EEZ and continental shelf, okay. And then the islands are just small enclaves now, and they've also basically given up a portion of what used to be their their expansive claim they gave it up to the international community as well as the rest of the region okay so you see that they are in a way compromising with the with us and the other asean states in a way no because they recognize that it's not good for them to claim everything okay um this is unlike china na wala sa amin pa rin yan lahat no um so because of that, I think um, Vietnam and the Philippines are much more um, um, in accord you know, when it comes to how the, the South China Sea should be divided and allocated. And therefore, they have much better chances of resolving even their own claims against each other because they are now be using the same basis, which is UNCLOS. Which brings me to the next issue because... Um... Again, from the very beginning, we established that the arbitration case was not about territorial claims, no, about mm -hmm. not about who owns what. We were able to establish that China's nine-dash line is not in accordance to modern international law. We were able to establish that there's no island per definition of on-clause, meaning self-sustaining, that can generate its own 200 nautical mass exclusive economic zone. This is obviously where we have problem with the Taiwanese because they occupy Itoaba, which is the largest naturally formed island, but even that was not considered as an island. Nevertheless, there was a determination that there were rocks in the area, including Panatak Shoal and that common fishing ground on yung area. Nyan. So we hear a lot of pro-Beijing disinformation using that to say that, well, see, the arbitration OLC doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't establish that the Philippines has any legitimate claim over Scarborough Shoal or over Panatak Shoal. And what on earth are we doing jan sa ayong inshol nagsasquatter lang tayo you can see how they can twist that to make that yeah. kind of argument right so what are what is our response on that issue in what sense does or doesn't the arbitration award have any implication for territorial claim uh well, number 1 
this is a tribunal established under the Convention on the Law of the Sea. Okay. So it's the sea. It's not the land. So any issue about sovereignty or ownership of land territory no, definitely was not included okay, in the award. Okay. And the tribunal made it a point to keep on repeating that. You'll, you'll see that explained in several parts of the award. No. Um, does that mean it's useless? No, because you still have a vast area of ocean around each little piece of, of land there that is in dispute. No, So Scarborough Shoal, for example, or Panatag Shoal, there are six rocks above water at high tide on the shoal, which the Philippines itself uh, verified in 1994. No? And this was known since the Spanish period back. Okay? But he verified that. Okay, Now, we did not ask the tribunal to rule on who owns the shoal because definitely that's beyond their jurisdiction. What we did ask the tribunal for, however, was to say whether it is proper for China as a claimant to that area, no? even if it did have sovereignty to that area. Is it correct? Is it legal for them to exclude the Filipino fishermen from going there and fishing? Okay. And the tribunal said no. No. Because we were able to show that Filipino fishermen, no, regardless of who owns that shoal, we our fishermen still have traditional fishing rights there, and therefore China should allow them to fish. Okay, should allow them to enter the shoal and fish peacefully. Okay, regardless of who actually owns the shoal, no, and that I think was really the objective. No, uh, with respect to Ayungin Shoal, naman, okay. We were able to show that the China, that China was attempting to do things to the outpost that we had established there, which was the BRP Sierra Madre. Okay, um, they were trying to um, um, fish the, our people out, or they were threatening, uh, undertaking uh, activities that seemed threatening to that uh, to that outpost. The tribunal ruled that a Yungin Shoal is not a piece of territory that anyone can claim sovereignty over. It is actually a low tide elevation, and therefore it is not subject to any claims to sovereignty. Okay, and there is no island or rock within twelve nautical miles of Ayungin Shoal, which could make it uh, subject to a claim of sovereignty. Now, since it cannot be subject to a claim of sovereignty, mm -hmm. the status of feature of the feature can only be determined by where it's located, and it so happens to be located within two hundred nautical miles of Palawan. Where we have exclusive territory, yeah, no? not Chinese territory, Philippine territory, and therefore it is within our exclusive economic zone in continental shelf. And therefore, the rights to the resources there and the right to manage activities there belongs only to the Philippines. And China cannot make any valid claim on any kind of basis no, to that uh, particular area because it is our easy and continental shelf, and they have no island or rock uh, within the within 12 nautical miles of that area uh, upon which they claim right. any uh, other rights. And there are fake islands in the area in the Fire Cross and all of that. Yeah. Well, application dapat legal. Because those are artificial islands. Yeah. Okay? The, the, the closest one is Mischief Reef, which the tribunal also found to be originally a low tide elevation. And therefore, the, the authority to establish any kind of artificial island or installation there belonged only to the Philippines, not to China. Okay, So when China built that artificial island there, again, 
it contravened the Philippines. It violated the Philippines' rights to its easy and continental shelf. So just like in Manila Bay, we have a right to make reclamation. It's yeah. okay to make reclamation a little bit farther as long as it's within our exclusive, exclusive yeah. uh, economic uh, zone in order to, I don't know, fortify our position, etc. But what about the next one? So on, on, on Panatag Shul, we established that at least the arbitration award was relevant to affirming the rights of yung ating mga ingista na pumunta dyan at hindi sila mabubuli, right? And in fact, China was censured for harassment mm -hmm. for fishermen, etc. And not to mention the ecological damage na ginawa ng kanilang mga uh, fake island building in the area. In Ayungin, we established that it's not even a territory to be claimed. So China has no basis there because their nine-dash line is invalid. That falls within the Philippines' exclusive economic zone. No one else has an island that in within the 12 nautical miles in order to have anything valid there. So Dabat Ayungin is non-contestable. It's just yes. not contested. No one has any... Atento, we can park, we can squat there, whatever we want. Atento. Now let's go to yes. Pagasa. What is the status of Pagasa? Because it's a rock, right? And and I, I want to emphasize here, Jay, because yes, um, China will never agree to perhaps taking any of these uh, cases to uh, International Court of Justice, etc. But we know that there's a legal precedence for continuous and effective exercise of sovereignty. And we know that even when Americans were discussing their mutual defense treaty with us, they knew the importance of exercise, effective and continuous exercise of sovereignty. Now, since we have had so let's say, hypothetically, pumayag ang China na dalin natin ito sa, sa international body. Territorial claim to, hindi na maritime. Do you think the Philippines has a strong chance? Since since 1977-78, meron na tayong airstrip dyan. We have barangay there. We have had mayors there. So let's say, hypothetically, if pumayag ang China dalin natin ito sa international arbitration, does the Philippines have a very strong chance of actually affirming its territorial claim in a different court when it comes to the Pagasa? Well, I think it does have a strong chance, and China knows it. No? Uh, kasi nga, the most effective means of acquiring sovereignty is through effective occupation and control over a period of time. And we have been there, as you mentioned, no? since the early 70s. Actually, I think it's late 60s pa nga. Eh. Mga 60, yeah, I was just referring to the airstrip at least, yeah. no? a little bit bigger. Yeah. But we have definitely been able to exercise uh, acts of sovereignty over that area for a very long time. And before we entered into that area, China was nowhere to be seen. Okay? The only reason they were there was because of fishing. But fishing is not a means for acquiring territory. Okay? Even if Ituaba was occupied by Taiwan, and even if Taiwan uh, is considered to be part of China, representing China, still, no, that occupation is effective only with respect to the island itself, not every other island in the area. Again, thank you very much uh, for, the, for that, Jay. I mean, of course, there's a number of other features there na low tide elevation din. But what about, mm -hmm. uh, di ba there, there are parts of Kalayan group of islands na medyo lampas na sa ating exclusive economic zone? Yes. We have yes. some, and they're low tide elevations, right? Uh, there, well, Pagasa Island or itself, or something like that. Or, nautical miles, okay? Uh, what is important here is that you know, we're not claiming the islands and rocks above water at high tide on the basis of easier continental shelf. We're claiming them on the basis of effective occupation and control. Okay. Um, so even if they're outside the 200-mile line, uh, the 200-mile easy continental shelf, the sovereignty claim still exists independently of that. Okay. Now, any low tide elevations there, um, if they are uh, subject to that, um, um, or if they're close to these islands and rocks that we do occupy, then 
if they're within 12 nautical miles, then we are deemed to have sovereignty and um, um, rights over that as well, no? by extension. Okay, That's why what's happening in Pagasa Island is very important. No, uh, In the past few years, since 2020, 2021, you had this swarming of these Chinese maritime militia and the Coast Guard vessels uh, actively preventing uh, Filipino units, fishermen, or people from Pagasa Island from even coming close to these nearby low tide elevations. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to undermine the effective occupation and control of the Philippines to those areas within 12 nautical miles of Pagasa Island. Okay. And uh, it's very, um, very important for us no, to ensure and keep, uh, keep trying to show that no China's attempts to interfere with us have not worked. We are still there. We are still administering these areas. And last myth, uh, I mean, there, there, there are a couple of others that I don't think it's worth for us to even patol. But patula natin itong isa, kasi I don't know if you got that, because the other month, a number of journalists in the Philippines, including yours truly, suddenly got some weird requests out of nowhere. Na, um, have you seen what Manila Times, for instance, wrote about Vietnam's reclamation, whatever, in the area? Would you like to write something about that? And my response was very clear. Like, um, I have no problem writing about Vietnam, but if this is about making it, giving China a pass by by emphasizing the case of Vietnam, then then I don't think I'm interested, right? So so as academics, of course, we're we're fine to talk about how each party is dealing dealing with this issue. But unfortunately, what what's happening, Jay, it looks like Vietnam is being used as a way to give China a pass. Now, can you explain to our audience what how Viet what Vietnam is doing is not necessarily anywhere close to what China is doing and doesn't and and this what about this argument that actually doesn't make sense. I mean, kalaban ba natin ng Vietnam? Kasi may ginawa sila sa atin nung 1970s, nag-party-party daw sa island, natulog, the next thing, nandun yung Vietnamese. You know the whole, uh, you know the whole shtick, right? Like, can you explain? Ay, nako. Yeah, I also received those types of uh, letters from different, you know, under different names. No? Um, and the thing there is that immediately I could see that it was um dubious report no just uh, just reading the manila times report for example you can see that it's very bad journalism <laughs> they did not even try to verify the identity of the person they did not even try to find any kind of corroborating evidence to the reported documents or reported events no also exaggerated agad when they were reporting that Vietnam was planning so much reclamation, it was like 10 times bigger than even China reclaimed in the South China Sea. So doon palang alam mo na na fake. Yeah. Fake news. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing there is that um, um, the activities that were being reported actually had already been monitored as early as 2017 and 2019 and 2021. We have the, bloody, the pictures in fact. In fact, no satellite imagery of this reclamation activity. So it, it's old news, uh, but uh, the apparent intention was to you know, um, create uh, doubts and um, try to create, uh, well, redirect attention towards Vietnam's um, activities no? instead of China's, which had been getting, getting all of it. No? But China's rec uh, sorry, but Vietnam's reclamation activities are actually comparable to ours okay? in terms of the methods and the area. No? We've been conducting some small reclamation on Pagasa Island, for example, which is necessary for us to renovate and repair the facilities there. And Vietnam is doing the same thing. No? Uh, but the other consideration for Vietnam 
however, is that when you look at the timing of the reclamation activities, it's clearly in response to yeah, actual by China. Yeah. It comes after China actually threatened them with force, some of their islands with force, if they did not uh, pull out of their petroleum concession areas, if they did not stop exploring for oil. Okay. So in that sense, in that context, you can understand why uh, Vietnam it's did defensive. that. No? Yeah, it's a defensive. Yeah, defensive. And besides, we've never had a problem with Vietnam. In our interactions with Vietnam have never been problematic. They do not go deep inside our EEZ with their Coast Guard to prevent yeah. uh, our fishermen from fishing. No? I mean, they Neither got illegal they... fishermen coming here and there, and there were some unfortunate yes. incidents, but it's oh, no definitely. being water cannoned by them, having lasers. Yeah. They're not protected by the Vietnamese Coast Guard, and we have been able to arrest uh, and detain these uh, Vietnamese fishermen um, and bring them to court no? several times. And unfortunately, we were even able to kill one uh, Vietnamese fisherman at one point. No, it was a I think it was a yeah. yeah, so when it comes to Vietnam, no, it's nowhere near what China has been doing. And between the Philippines and Vietnam, they've been able to keep on talking and resolve their issues bilaterally. So much so that you know, we even have exchanges of personnel on the islands. We've been able to visit Vietnamese islands. They've been able to visit our islands. And the ones that uh, Vietnam occupies are way beyond that, no? our exclusive economic zone. I mean, the Paracels, we totally have no claims there. The other ones yeah. that they occupy 20 or so uh, yes. are way beyond our claimed area. So they're not a threat to us in yes. that. The, large, the largest ones that they have are well beyond our EEZ. Yeah? And they all have, only have smaller outposts inside our EEZ, but those are on the outer portion of the EEZ. And therefore, they do not pose uh, as much of a threat to us as China's three massive military bases no, uh, yeah. in the Kalayan Island group. Okay? Yun, talagang they can, well, they now have full-blown um, um, naval and air stations there. They're fully armed with missiles. No? Uh, their missiles can reach all the way up to Palawan. No? So compared to Vietnam, clearly, no, by any measure, China is a far bigger threat. And it has been the far more unreasonable uh, party no? um, um, in the South China Sea. And, and lastly, Jay, let's talk about this. Of course, we have a, a kind of a, not my ticking time bomb, if I can put it, but but the situation in Ayungin is very, very sensitive. Malampaya mm -hmm. is also paubus na. So it looks like yung sinasabi na ni Deng Xiaoping na, you know, we can wait it out another generation, whatever. Like, yeah, in general, maybe, but there are a couple of issues here and there. Now, we cannot wait a generation. In a year or so, I mean, I, I you know, we had an interview with uh, uh, Romel Ong, a former rear admiral. He said, actually, itong ayungin shol, expect namin, nung isang year pa, wala na yung, ano na yan eh, yung vessel natin na grounded Sierra Madre. So, so clearly, mm -hmm. something drastic has to be done in the short term, uh, putting aside parking the legal aspect, operationally speaking. And then, of course, the malampaya, paubus na rin yan. We were talking about a year or two. So, hindi natin pwede hintayin itong kalokohan na code of conduct negotiations, ito yung mga padribol-dribol ng China because our national interest and exploitation of those resources are at stake. Operationally speaking, Jay, now, now take out your lawyer hat or half half lawyer hat. Let's talk operational. What do you think are should be the next moves? Well, like you said, no, there's a sense of urgency. No, China is actually holding us back from development no, by all of this interference. 
it has uh, endangered our food, food security by preventing fishing or even uh, overfishing uh, the fishery resources. It is uh, stopping uh, our energy development uh, plans for this area. And over the medium term, the Philippines' national interest, its national development is really at stake. No? Ayungin is, in a way, um, symbolic. But it also is very uh, it's also very important because it's an example of what can happen next. No? If China succeeds in essentially kicking us out of Ayungin uh, through these methods of interfering with supply lines, etc., it will be a proof of concept, basically. And they will do it, therefore, to other positions uh, other, or other places in, in the Kalana Island group. And if we keep on, you know, saying that there's nothing we can do, etc., that we shouldn't stand up to China, that we are afraid of war, then they have us right where they want us, no? in a position of fear, a position of submission. No? And eventually we will lose all of these um, islands no? if we allow that to happen. Okay? So I think it's it's a very important um, juncture at this so, point. So, no? Jay, do you think we should cash in the alliance now? Do you think the Americans should join, uh, I mean, kind of be over the horizon at the very least when the next resupply is about to happen and the resupplies to come? And alam natin, independent of food and water lang, we have to do some construction in that Ayungin area, right? Because I think the moment that thing falls apart, the Chinese are going to do something there. Um, should the Americans help directly, indirectly with the construction in the area? Should other like-minded allies and friends have some sort of patrols in the area? Uh, I mean, is this, is this the time to cash it in? Uh, I think staying in the background uh, or, or just nearby. Oh, just uh, over the horizon. Is, yeah, is the minimum that we should ask them for. In the end, this is still our fight. No, This is our claim. And we should uh, basically you know, put our money where our mouth is. If we're really um, intent on pursuing these claims, no? then we should do what we need to do. At minimum, repair Shermadre so that it lasts a, a bit longer. No? Um, maximum is build a facility. After all, it's our jurisdiction. No? Right, it's uh, not territory to be claimed anyway. It's just you know, it's yeah. just like... it's it's an exercise of our exclusive sovereign rights over the area and our jurisdiction to establish artificial islands and installations anywhere in our Asian continental shelf. That is our lawful uh, right under international law. And any interference by China can only be a, a use of force contrary to international law. Okay? Uh, if they prevent us from doing that, then they, it is essentially coercion. It is an interference in the actions and activities of a sovereign nation. And it could invoke also the mutual defense treaty, at least in principle. Can, right? I think it can invoke the mutual defense treaty, which means that those ships on the horizon, if they're there, no, can respond if they see a hostile act against our people. No? And they can do what they need to do to protect our people from being um, subject to acts of uh, aggression and force. Now, of course, that's go already going to be a rather uh, tense situation. It will be a brink. And it will really be a test now of the nation and its leadership, no. whether it escalates or does not, and on what terms, that will now. That's where we will see what kind of country we are and what kind of leaders we have.
All right, last question, Dr. J. Batumbakal. Um, unity ba? Yan bang sagot ngayon? <laughs> I mean, you and I are going to be in trouble for quite some time kasi, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. No, in this sense, in a good sense, at least we don't have a president anymore who's bashing our own case. We don't have a president who's prosecuting the case for another country, in this case, China. At least we have a president who's doing at least a bare minimum, if not more than that, right? Are, are, do we feel more confident with this administration that they have the proper combination of diplomacy and steadfastness to, to do what it takes to make sure we catch up for the six years that we lost more or less on, under Digong? Well, definitely in the past few months, the administration's decisions and statements have been much more robust and much more aligned with the national interest, really. No? And that national interest, yeah, it's it's basically interest of a unified nation. Okay? Not political, not in the sense of electoral <laughs> unity, okay? Um, but real uh, unity in the sense of we being one people with is with um, national interests. So I think that, yes, that is what is needed now. We have to uh, basically show our support um, for the actions of the government with respect to the West Philippine Sea and our national interest. No? Um, and I hope people will not see that as some kind of political, being a political butterfly or political bandwagon, regardless of who is the leader, no? Uh, hypothetically, if, even if uh, BBM did not win and somebody else is in the seat, yeah. If uh, that leader were to take these types of positions, we would definitely still be supporting it, no? Because yeah, it's the one that is aligned with our uh, long-term yeah. interests as a nation, no? This, and international law, things. right? It's not like yeah. our claims claims are as crazy yeah. as some. Na, oh, you yeah. ancestors not in 2,000 years ago, dumanjan atin na yan. It doesn't work that okay. way. All this mumbo-jumbo stuff. Yeah. All that we're advocating is what we are entitled to under international law, under an agreement that we all signed, including China. Diba? Now, we have been trying to hard to abide by that agreement to the point that we have been giving up some of our claims uh, from the 1950s, no, like the Treaty of Paris lines, no, we can expect nothing less from China, no? because that's really the only way where where we can have a an equitable distribution, really, of these uh, resources in the South China Sea. Thank you very much, uh, the Doctor Attorney Professor. <laughs> I'm gonna go the German way. <laughs> uh, Jay Batumbakal. For helping us. Actually, I thought we could do it in 30 minutes and I realized, no, 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 we really have to explain uh, the, the whole context. So thank you for at least helping us to debunk six common disinformation. I know. So, siguro, Jay, we should also make our own bakery, no? Para lang may forum din tayo. <laughs> Alam na this. On that note, thank you very much, Jay, and please get some rest. Catch up din tayo soon. Okay. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Good night.